Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Stop me if you've heard this one before, but the season begins with a winnable fixture. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. The actual season starts, the preseason is over, the window is closed, the season starts with an easy fixture. Uh, the, the other season that will remain unmentioned also started with a fairly winnable fixture, but the less said about that, the better. But this time, we have players, not all of them, but some of them, some of the ones we might consider players we'd like to have around. And uh, the coach is saying that it's time to perform. He's got all the tools he needs. So we'll be discussing that. We'll look forward to the Norwich game. We'll talk a little bit about the run of fixtures coming up and what's needed and how we turn this all around. Uh, before we do that, I just want to let you know. So we announced uh, a live event in London the Sunday before the Palace game, which I believe is, what is that, the 18th of October. Um, you can find it on our website. But uh, it sold out quite quickly, which is great. Thank you so much. But I know the Eventbrite site was a mess. And so for anyone who had trouble with that, like that stinks and I'm sorry. The good news is, though, so that'll be going from uh, three to half four on that Sunday at the Victoria Tavern on Holloway Road. But at 4.30, when the recording ends, they're going to open the pub full uh, and people can flood in up to about 300. And we're all going to hang out and have drinks. And we're going to see if Clive chooses the rum or the Sancerre, if he's feeling feisty, or maybe just a, a Duval, a, you know, an 8% lager or something like that. So we're all very excited to find that out. Tim will be there. I'll be there. Uh, Clive will be there. Uh, Linus, I believe, will be there. Mike from the Gooners Pod will be there. There'll be a lot of good people there. James Benj is joining us as well. Uh, so that'll be fun. So you can certainly come by a little before half four and, uh, and join us for the social part of it. Tried to get it open up to more people for the recording. I had no idea what to expect and just no room. So apologies for that if you struggled with the Eventbrite site. But the, the good news is hopefully we'll be able to see a lot of you. People joked based on my uh, Las Vegas event situation that uh, we now know when the UK shutdown will start October 17th. I kid, but I, I sort of don't. So let's hope. Fingers crossed this one comes off. Uh, here with me now is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, up to 22,000 plus pounds in our fundraiser for the Arsenal Foundation, which is just ridiculous and stunning and amazing and still plenty of weeks to go well beyond the goal. So you can go to our website and, and donate there as well, arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash donate. In any event, uh, just want to thank you guys for that. Thank you so much. And then obviously all our, our patron content comes back starting this week. Tomorrow, uh, we'll have stuff after the Norwich game and uh, a new Euro roundup, Euro football roundup club football stuff from the continent with Phil Costa that we're putting together for patrons as well. Uh, and that'll be in addition to our Premier League roundup. So basically the idea is to uh, be able to have earphones in your ears at all times listening to Arsenal Vision content. Okay, Clive, uh, we heard from the manager today, uh, having heard from Adu last week, and he sort of echoed what Adu said. He said that, you know, Adu explained the project really well, what I've been trying to say about it as well. Uh, you know, I think he said something that is really 
fair and accurate, which is essentially we try to build for the future, but we also know that we have to get results in the present, which is true and difficult and a, and a difficult needle to thread. But, you know, he's talking about having his players back and he says, you know, now is the time we have the players back. We have the tools we need. So I just want to start the conversation by saying, look, there are some people that are unwilling to give Arteta any leeway for the start he had. And I am sympathetic to that view, but even if you want to take the view that he deserved leeway for the start due to the COVID absences and some of the fixtures and whatever the excuses you want to use, if you're willing to see them as relevant, irrelevant, somewhere in between, I think most of us can agree now that that time is gone, that now he has enough tools at his disposal and enough fixtures that are winnable to put some points on the board. So are you prepared to say now that given the sort of hole that that the team has dug for itself to start the season, this fixture right here becomes, you know, he was asked, is it, is it a must win? He says at Arsenal, they're all must win. I mean, what can he say? But does it feel must win to you? Does it feel now that given the extent to which some grace might've been given for the excuses, now there has to be evidence that we can start turning yet another corner. Yeah, we, we, all, we all feel the same thing. We, We've had two weeks of being ridiculed by every person that we know. I've, I've messages on my phone come from people I've not heard for years. It's been tough for people, you know, every single talk show, every journalist has just been ripping into us, and um, and people don't like that. And I can see that a lot of the Arsenal content has become more and more angry. And, um, and that's how people feel, and you can't deny people's feelings. We all go through a sense of grief when we lose three games and we're sitting bottom of the table. I can't remember us ever being bottom of the table, right? So it is tough for people, but to our extenuating circumstances, we can go into them if we want to, but it doesn't really matter. They're not going to change. We all know what they are, playing Champions League finalists, the champions, and the champions of Europe. It's tough at any time of, of year without the absentees that we had. And then the first game, you know, I think there'll be a story coming out about that first game, about the preparation, but it doesn't matter. We are where we are. He's always going to be after the, the uh, transfer window was the area I was looking at, and here we are, home to Norwich. Well, Norwich has scored more than us, so we're looking up at them. <laughs> so I, I think, mean, uh, they, all, they all have, Clive. Every, yeah, literally yeah. every club in the division. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we come to this game now, and there's, there's a huge expectation on it. But I will say, I do sense there's worry. I do sense there's, there's tension. I also sense there's an explosion of support ready to happen if things start to look and feel slightly different. And the only thing that we can't, you know, we can't say is guarantee any of that. And when you go into a, and I will call it a youth project, but when you rip out the amount of players that we have done and add the players that we have with lots with potential and upside, we're not certain of anything. But we are certain it's going to be new, different, and fairly exciting. I have my worries about the experience level within the club, full stop, and the experience types we have. But in the end, it's down to it's down to us, it's down to our ability to impose ourselves on our opponents and get back to the habit of reaching a standard which is more befitting of the club. And this is it. This is the moment. And if these players have got, and anybody in the club has got the professional pride and hurt like we've hurt as fans about where we have been for the last two weeks... If they've got that level of professionalism and pride, I'm expecting a bit of a, a backlash and a performance. And put some smiles on faces where we can slightly reset. And then, and then Because these conversations that Arteta and Edu and everyone's had, and we've had amongst ourselves as fans, 
they're really good conversations, but they're really there's a little bit of um, futility about them because we're sitting there zero point zero goals, so no one cares. You need to get the results, have the same conversation again, and it looks and feels different. Results give you that protective state. At the moment, it feels like we haven't got that protective state. We lack a little bit of playing stability. We have a number of new partnerships waiting to be solidified. So there's no certainty, but a level of excitement and trepidation at the same time. And that's that's how I feel anyway. Yeah, I, I just think this is a really weird situation. And, and in general, I, whenever you get to these situations where you feel like a manager's job hinges on the very next game, and I'm not saying that's the case, by the way, but when it starts to feel that way, I've always sort of felt like you, you can't get past that. The irony is it felt like we were there on Boxing Day of last season, and we did get past that, and we saw a pretty nice turnaround. And I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility, Paul, that now with some players back and with some fixtures that are winnable, our next six fixtures, four of the teams are arguably relegation strugglers. Four of the games are at home, I believe, four of the six. I mean, we play Palace, we play Villa, we play Brighton, we play Burnley, we play Norwich. And in between there, there's there's a game against um, Spurs, obviously at home. But like there, there's there's winnable fixtures here. So I do think that this is the run now that's going to decide not just our season in terms of what's realistic to accomplish, but whether Arteta gets a third life, so to speak. You know, he's he went through his first life at the start of last season, and, and he was on to his second life. And that sort of ended maybe with the first three games this season. So can he get on to a third life? Do you buy into the argument that this run that I just sort of outlined, the next six league fixtures, which also includes the, there's a cup tie against Wimbledon in there, which, you know, I I sort of thought that beating up West Brom in the league cup might lift spirits, but boy, was I wrong about that. So I'm not going to expect the Wimbledon tie to do much for that either. Is this, is this the run that determines whether he gets a stay of execution again, or you think that he has a longer leash than I'm expecting? I mean, indubitably, uh, I was practicing saying that while you were doing your thing. But didn't didn't in, come off. <laughs> it, 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 no, it's not that easy, you know. Indubitably, no. Um, indubitably. No, you show off. Indubitably. I have a fantastic tongue. Uh, so, um, like, this is the run. I just think it might it might be a few games longer than you said. Obviously, it could be four or five games long if they're all terrible. Um, so, it's results and performances. Um, I did. I was thinking though when when you were saying that about the West Brom game, and you say it didn't really change anything. I mean, it did. It's just we played Man City afterwards, and we're terrible, right? Um, if you go back and listen to us all after West Brom, we were all like, uh, "Now you can't read too much into this." We said, "Repeatedly <laughs> 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 predicting the future." Yeah, but we were basically trying to hold ourselves down, right? And I listened to the Ars cast, and there was Andrew saying, "Now, of course, people will say that you can't read too much into this, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But the reality was, we saw, we began to see what could be. Um, did it mean anything? Not really. Um, my point being, yes, we need to get a few performances going. Um, but any two or three games in a row along this streak where we start to pick up, we start to pick up and people get excited. You can say, you know, you can say this next six, this next seven games are all vital and we've got to basically win most, but you win th- any three games in a row and play well, you're in business. The problem is if you 
don't win the first couple of games, then you're firefighting within your squad, etc. But whenever we turn it around and start playing and start having performances, things pick up quick. Now, you, you may not hold it as long if you don't have the track record, but uh, either way, like you can be flying along and then you run into, and everybody's like excited about your season, and then you run into, say, Liverpool, and then you play... Um, Man United and you get turned over and everybody's like, oh shit, we completely overread how good we are. We're actually still crap. Uh, like you lose it real quick either way. So that's just how it goes. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, to me, it's the run through till the end of November. Now, if it's a really bad run in the first six, seven games, you may not get to the end of November, but assuming uh, we're a lot better than we were um, you know, the season starts with Norwich for us, maybe not for any of the other teams. Uh, it does actually for Norwich too, because they've they've not had a good three first games either. So both teams will start their season in this game. Um, they'll like the matchup too. Uh, you know, Pukey likes a good high line. Um, they like a bit of a 4-2-3-1, though they've been playing more a 4-3-2-1, a little more conservatively, but maybe that was the first few fixtures. But they'll like this matchup too. Um, and if we start a little slowly, they'll they'll enjoy this game for a little while too. But hey, that could suit us in that they play some football, we play some football, we have a good game. We start to feel a little better. I mean, if we have to talk ourselves down from West Bromwich Albion not getting carried away, this is an actual Premier League game. Mm. Um, so if we play some good football, we'll be doing a lot of it was only Norwich and we can't read too much into it. But you pick up the good vibes. Burnley's a tough matchup for us and has been for some time now. So we shouldn't get too carried away on that one. It's, it doesn't mean it's not winnable. It is winnable. Uh, we should win it. But it's a tough matchup for us. And especially given, if you like, we've been exposed a little bit in terms of our defense and our center backs and our high line against a team like Brentford. Burnley is a pretty good analog and some for, you know, they're a very good Brentford. Um, Are they the Brentford be, press? Burnley sit back and block all your shots. No, 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 that's they're wrong. Not, not anymore. Yeah, they're pressy now. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, they're very pressy, yeah. uh, especially um, in the center. No, they, they'll do to us what Brentford did, but better. Yeah, no, you're, you're African. But we, be, we better be better. I think there are similarities. Here's the interesting thing. You can compare and contrast what's about to happen now with the Boxing Day resurgence last season. We went seven league games unbeaten with five wins and two draws. A draw against Palace and a draw against United and then and five wins. It started, though, with a win over Chelsea, obviously, and not just a win over Chelsea, but a win over Chelsea where we tried a new system and introduced new players. And then we got Odegaard in. And so there were, there were a lot of reasons to start to believe. Well, now this Smith-Rowe thing, and now the back four, and now Odegaard's here. There's some similarities here in the sense that, well, now finally we have players back, and they're not all missing with COVID, and you know Ben White can play, and Tomiyasu can come in, and, and Odegaard's back. So, yeah, those things are relevant. I think, obviously, we're starting with a game that's going to be less of a uniting factor if we win it, beating Norwich isn't the same as beating Chelsea, but it is six league games that we could win them all and almost need to, to get this back on track, both in terms of where we can finish this season and the confidence back in the team. And I think the time for you know, sort of the, the soft bigotry of low expectations is done. We have to beat Burnley. That's what we got to do. 
you know, and, and Arteta said in his, in his pre-match press conference, Clive, we added the players I need. I have the tools now. You know, now it's time to go do something. Now, the interesting thing is, it's not as black and white straightforward that we have what we need going into this game. Tomiyasu is waiting for a work permit. Um, Bird Leno he, isn't back in the UK played. yet. He's never, he's never played, played with this in practice. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Shaq is not available. El Neni's not available. Not that too many people are going to cry tears for that, but that means we're trying a, you know, just back from injury Thomas Party with a Sambi Lakanga who has never played with him. Um, you know, there are players missing. Smith Rowe is ill, so it's unclear whether he'll be available. I, you know, I, Ben White and Gabriel, I don't think have played together. Gabriel just back from injury. So there's going to be this sense, Clive, that, oh, we've got our players back. And yet when you look at it, Gabriel just back from injury, Party just back from injury, Tomiyasu probably not available, Smith Rowe potentially not available, um, Shaka not available, and then he's not available. He's still got to figure this out with some tricky selection issues. So how do you think he will line up? And do you think that the sort of enthusiasm about having players back is maybe overstated given the ones that are still missing? We're in better shape than we were in the previous three games, and, and that's the most important thing. I mean, the Shaka thing is... Uh, Oh, disappointing for some. Um, I think he's disappointing. He's a senior player, and we and we need them. Uh, sometimes he's an idiot, and, he, and this is one of those times. So it is what it is. Uh, Tommy Assi, or Tommy, should we call him? Um, Tommy Assi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's um, obviously just played this week. Just coming back today. May train today. Don't know. Don't know if he can get his work permit. Looks like a good player. On paper, I can't wait to see him. I didn't watch a game this week, China versus Japan, but on all reports, um, I hear he did really, really well playing left centre half. I'm really hopeful that signing. New partnerships, Ben White, uh, Gabriel, probably. New partnerships in midfield. Yeah, it can be something you can look on with fear or look at the players and say, yeah, I quite like this. I, I quite like it. I look at things in a more positive way and what could be rather than what couldn't be. I'm, I just feel there are less excuses now. We we have the people. A right-back will be interesting because Norwich have brought this guy, I did a bit of research on him today, called Rashika, I think, and he's a very fast, chunky sort of player that's very sprinty and not the sort of player I want Callum Chambers standing up against. You know, he, he could, he's a right footer from the left and he, he comes inside with banging shots, he sprints in behind. I Come from Verder Bremen, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. And but I think Pookie has struggled without forward support. He he was he was left on his own a lot. If someone's running in behind him and Pookie's set in play, that'd be quite interesting. And Campbell floating. There are a number of new signings, you know. And let's see what happens and how they settle. But it's it's about us, really. I think it's about us establishing ourselves, establishing our relationships. I think the with Smith Rowe looks like he's in a bit of trouble. The front three sort of picks itself as a number 10. For me, it does anyway. We have a Bamiyang centre forward and Saka and Pepe and Odegaard. That's your front four diamond, two in behind. And I th- probably think Cedric will play on the right-back side just for his uh, agility, shall we say. He says that tongue-in-cheek. And um, I think White and Gabriel will play. And I think Tierney will play with an eye t- to the fact that he's played three ninety minutes in in a week or so. So... You know, it is a. I, I do think the bench will play a part because we've got a number of people that haven't played for a while, and so I think you know we all know that Arsenal are much better when we lead from the front. If we do score early and score a couple of goals early, look at that sideline. Look at the people who's going to be lagging towards the end. I think the most important thing is we get those players off so we can maintain these partnerships week on week and get some form of familiarity. 
and create a level. Because at this moment in time, everything is on paper and on statistics and on player profiles. We don't know the level of this team because we haven't really seen it. You know, and that's the key thing. We don't know the level. And what we have seen some of the older faces, we know what we got. We got something that was really uh, inadequate. But I'm, I'm willing to push that to one side and just really focus on the next few weeks and how we look. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think one of the things I'm sort of curious about is what system does this team play now? Uh, you know, Paul, one of the really interesting things that sort of happened over the Arteta tenure is that the system has changed, and sometimes I feel it's more by circumstance, happenstance, than by design. There was the back three system early on that I think was born out of necessity. It then achieved an FA Cup win, which is extraordinary, while never maybe dazzling in the league. And then as results plummeted, it was changed by necessity uh, to the back four, the four two three one, which I think was where our best run happened. Then there was that period where Tierney was injured where it looked a little more 4-3-3 and then back to a 4-2-3-1. And we started the season that way and now it seems that there's some back three potential here. And I, I think given that Arteta has even indicated that Tomiyasu is the kind of guy that can play across the entire back line, uh, both as a center back and as a right back, and there's some hypothesizing that he could be a, a right-sided center back in a back three, I think a lot of people are kind of curious if, if that system is coming back. I look at the players that are available, and Arteta, when asked if Sambi and, and Party would play together in midfield, he was noncommittal about it. And he talked about Odegaard and Smith Rowe being able to drop in those pockets as well, which we saw used against City, but not to great effect. So I'm curious, do you think that with the players back, and maybe they're not back yet to do it, but that 4-2-3-1 is still the plan? Do you think we might be headed back to a new era of back three? Like, what what do you expect he's trying to do with this team now. Because one of the things that I think is frustrating for people just sort of watching on, trying to figure out what Arteta is about, is I, I, I'm just sort of searching for some clue about, okay, what kind of team are we? Let me get my mind around that and sort of settle into thinking about that. Not that that's Arteta's job, right? He doesn't care what we're thinking about. But I'm curious if you have a clear idea of what you think he'll try to do with this group. Um, well, probably because I'm stupid, I'm not challenged by the confusion a lot of people seem to have over our system. I don't think we've really changed it that much along the way. I think we had the three at the back, and we know why we played three at the back for a while, because we were. it had worked for, you know, Emery, Wenger both ended up with that system um, to kind of shore up the issues at the back, and Arteta started conservatively, and it got us an FA Cup and that was all good but he obviously wanted to move to a back four uh, and he did and then he brought in a 10 shortly after he moved to a back four and we started playing with the 10 and that, we're basically a 4-2-3-1 team and occasionally against the big guys we'll play a three at the back to match up or to shore things up a little bit then there was we lost Tierney and because we attack up the left, we had no attack. So he did something a bit funky with Chaka, with Ceballos in the midfield, etc., for a period of time. But that was only because we didn't have Tierney. And then he went out and found a Tierney uh, understudy who plays attacking football on the left when he's used. And I assume the logic there is so we can play that one system, which is 4-2-3-1 attacking up the left, a little more conservative on the right. 
And then I think people have confused themselves because Tomiyasu can play centre-back and full-back. Arteta keeps telling us he's signed him as a full-back, but the guy's flexible and he can play other positions, which is what managers say when they sign a player to tell you he's great because he's great at this thing and he can do some other stuff. To be fair, Uh, he's been saying the same thing about Maitland-Niles this week as well. Yeah, Um, and there's rationales for it. Why you would, and it's like it's not that we'll never play a three. We'll just play a three against, like we should have played it against Chelsea instead of City, for example. Um, so in games like that, we might play a three. That might be a handful of games a year. Um, we might need a centre back occasionally when there's a an injury run, and so maybe Tommy Yasu fills in there because we got four right backs occasionally. Um, but until proven wrong. I think w- the system's really obvious. Um, it's more that we're really frustrated about all the other stuff that we say, oh, I'm so frustrated I don't understand this system. Um, I mean, I might not be able to talk philosophically about what it's all what is all going on, and I might be wrong, but I think it's very straightforward system, 4-2-3-1 with a 10, um, attacking up the left-hand side with Tierney or Nuno. And it's not complicated. And we needed a right back who could actually do a bit of defending. So we got one. And he also happens to be able to play center back because he's. But part of the reason he plays center back is because in his national team, he's very, very tall because his national team is Japan. And so he always has a lockdown place as a center back. Well, also, isn't there captain a right back? Don't they have like a well established player at right back? I, I could at be Bologna or Japan. Sure. Uh, Japan. Uh, yes, I think so. And the other challenge they had at Bologna was they had a good right centre back. Um, so th- when they had him play centre back, he played left centre back. Blah blah blah. He can play full back. We signed him as a full back. Uh, I quite like him as a full back based on the little bit I see. Uh, I also have some concerns on him. So I I don't know if he's really good or not. But it's like three or four or five of our players. We got to see him play before we lose our shit. I think. Yeah, I just, I'll level with you. I, I I can't decide if the tail is wagging the dog here. I I can't decide if the manager has a clear vision for the football he wants to play in a system that he wants to use or if he is constantly firefighting. And you could forgive him if he is. He was handed imbalanced squad. He had players that didn't want to play for him or he didn't want to play for, playing for him. He had players out injured. He had red cards. He had more injuries. He had COVID absences. He started the season with COVID absences. Now he's got more absences. And now he's got new players coming in who don't have work permits or have never played before. Guys coming back from injury who haven't trained. And so I do sort of have sympathy for the idea that you can only play the system that works with the players you have available. And that maybe the only period where we saw a system that he really prefers was when we played our best football. We just haven't been able to commit to it. That would be the most generous observation, I think, most generous interpretation I think there's another interpretation where he just needs to pick something and stick with it and drill it into the players and get it, get the repetitions in because you can't have players looking as lost as they did against City. And you're not going to look that lost against Norwich, but even a little bit of that confusion where you start the game a little confused and you don't look really switched on to what you're supposed to be doing and it winds up being like the West Ham game last season where you're 3-0 down after 15 minutes. And yeah, it's great that it clicks and you play some of your best football of the season, but you finish it 3-3. So, you know, there's... There's some things that have to get nailed down now, in my view, Clive. I, I think now Arteta has to, and you know maybe he's had to do this a long time ago, but certainly has to now, figure out 
What football, what is Arteta football at Arsenal? What is that football? That starts now, it has to. Against Norwich, Burnley, Spurs, Palace, Villa. It, it has to brighten, it has to start now. This run, we have to see consistent system, I think. And maybe you say that, that's just not fair, Elliot. He's allowed to tinker between games. My opinion is, he's got to install a system and he's got to sharpen it and it has to look good over a stretch of time. And so... I'll ask you if you agree with that. And then, you know, if you want to sort of fold into that as we start to just look at the game more granularly, like, then how does he deploy the players he has available? Because the one thing that's really scary, I think, going into a game that feels very must win is putting a lot of guys on the pitch who have either never played in partnerships or just back from injury. Yeah, I think I'm assuming he's going to play a 4 2 3 1 because that's what he seems to be his go to recently. Um, but we all know what it means in possession, out of possession, and what we do in five channels defensively and attackingly. And three, two, five, two, three, five. We we know the rules, right? So it doesn't really bother me. What bothers me more is the principles by which we play. So I'd like to see much quicker forward passing, for example. You know, the speed by which we play. I like to see that increase. I like to see far more support line running and far more aggression off the ball to win our you know to win our tackles win our duels i like to see try to attempt to win the ball higher up the pitch these are principles of play when we switch the point of the attack let's switch it back again quickly move people side to side do everything quicker and sharper if we are going to transition let's make sure we have people who are transition players in the right areas of the pitch so we can transition i'm looking for intelligent principles of play rather than how arteta plays now, Arsenal, you know, have been, they have looked incredibly well coached in the past. And like the coach hasn't been there for a couple of weeks in the past. That inconsistency, there is no longer an excuse for that. Because we have had a preseason. I know it's been disrupted. That excuse around Arteta's time with the players on the pitch will soon go away post international break. When Europe kicks in, we'll have time to sit there in a week and do our work. And so as we go through the season, I expect us to be far better coached and have far more relationships and have far more automatisms, I never say that word, in place in, in the team. And, and that's what I'm looking at. Now, some people want to understand what Arteta football, so they can put a flag on it. And when he veers away from it, you say, well, why aren't we playing that football? Well, I'm not interested. I'm interested in the right principles to play that belong in a modern game. Tactics and systems for me are tools in your toolbox. On a certain day, you pull out that tool for that day. I have got. I, I do like other systems. I like four triple two. I like three at the back. I like four two three one. I like four four two. Doesn't bother me. If we're playing a lumpy team like Burnley, they're going to have two strikers like Chris Wood and Harvey Barnes. That's not Harvey Barnes. Ashley Barnes. Sorry. Then why not play three at the back for that day? Yeah, make sure we can deal with those two strikers and win the second ball and nullify their point of attack straight away. Bang. They're going to have two wide men crossing to two men. Play three in the back, have two wing backs and push the wide men back. Just use that tool for that day because it works. It would have worked against Brentford. I mean, well, we wouldn't have got so embarrassed against Chelsea. But we didn't need to use it against City. So these are the things I'm looking for. The tactical acumen and intelligence of the coaching staff and the manager to deploy, deploy his players appropriately for that day. But the principles by which we play, fast attacking, transition-based football, passing forward, aggressive, follow the pass, collisions in centre midfield, switching play quickly, 
that suits the players that we have in the main with our carrying, attacking mids and our sprinty forwards in Pepe and Aubameyang. That's what I'd like to see us do. And if I, I think that's on the management to recognise the players that you have now purchased and, and given contracts to in the main to deploy them and use them appropriately. And I think that's the focus for me in the next eight games, eight weeks, wherever it is. And if that's not being done, the excuses that we've given in the past and I've given, I don't think they stand up. I really don't. So this is the time now, the next couple of months, really work this out. Yeah, <clears throat> I have uh, something I want to do with the back half of this podcast. Uh, so we'll get to that momentarily, just sort of looking ahead. But before we do that, there are a couple of other things. And Clive, you, you hit on something that I think is fair. You know, I'm, I'm harping on what is our Arteta football? What is his system? You know, we need to see something in place. But maybe I'm kind of ignoring that there has been a system all along in the sense that there's three in possession when we build up, right? It was Shaka dropping in. Now it's the right back dropping in. The left back bombs ahead almost like a wing back. The right back sits in then, you know, and tucks in with the back three. And then you have the two in midfield and then you have the five up front. You're right. I mean, you can call it a back four if you want, but the shape winds up looking virtually the same, whether it's a back three, a back four, whatever you want to call it. It's that three, two, five sort of build up. Um, So I guess we do know he wants to do something like that. And a lot of coaches are doing that. And obviously there's a lot of Manchester City built in to that. It's just the way we execute it. It's a little different. Yeah, come back. Can I say something on that? I mean, you're absolutely right when you say everyone's doing the same thing. And I I want to say this, right? All the coaches read the same information, go to the same seminars, done the same courses, and they have choices of systems how they want to play. And there are trends. There are coaching trends. And everyone's doing a lopsided attack. Everyone's pushing people into five channels. Where most teams are, most of the teams that I like watching are. And there are there are stylistic tweaks, and there are positional tweaks. Some people use fullback. Some people invert one. Some people use like four triple two all down the gut and create squares, and then spin into let fullbacks push on. But they're all trying to control your zone, Elliot. Zone fourteen have three men in there, have two people on the outside and make sure they stop the transitions. We're all doing the same things. But the challenge is, and this is the challenge, is to take us on the journey, to take your players on the journey. This is the differentiator for me. How you communicate, how you get your messages across to your players, how you get your messages across to everyone in the club, that we have something to follow. So I think the messaging, the implementation, the journey, is where some of the the better the better clubs are better than us at. Now, we've had instability and disruption and player turnover. So it's hard to see anything consistent on the pitch. We all know about inconsistency off the pitch, with different models, different strategies. But that's, we, that's, I'm looking for stability now. I'm looking for partnerships. I'm looking for the reasons why people have arrived to start to show themselves. I think that journey is what we're on. I'm not desperate mm. to have it... Uh, printed in front of me and say this is it but i want to see the star of that picture being painted that's that's where i am anyway. yeah and i mean you hit on a couple of things that that i feel pretty strongly about one thing that you know yes a lot of these teams are building in that three two five when they're in possession and their possessions start deep but the other thing they do is they make the game easier by having some possessions that start higher by winning the ball higher and we just have not consistently done that under arteta Good. and i think it makes the game a lot harder um you know, again, we, we we harped on this before, but watching that Chelsea-Liverpool game and the way they just close down the angles and you can't play out, it just makes your life so much easier. So much of what they both create comes from forcing you to make those mistakes in your own half. 
And we don't do enough of that. The other thing I think is interesting, whether it's City or Chelsea or Liverpool, the way they build play, the ball goes into the center before it goes out wide. For us, and maybe this is partly a Shaka issue, the ball just goes wide. It just goes from midfield out to the wing, and then there's overlapping players on the wing, but you don't you don't get those three guys in zone 14. You don't get that central space occupation that like pulls defenders out of position and makes room for the overlapping runners. So Odegaard changes that. I, I was going to say that. Yep, I think Odegaard does. I think getting Thomas Party back does. I think Sambi instead of Shaka does. I think there's a lot of things, Paul, that are going to happen now personnel-wise that yeah. may you give see, us more access to you those see positions. Odegaard dropping in deep into that pocket on the on the right as a third midfielder. And that balances out things. So one time we'll go up the left, the other time we'll go up the right. And we just haven't had that without Odegaard and, you know, without Party as well. But certainly without Odegaard, you saw him drop in, pick up the ball, play it up the right. And that'll balance us out far more than we were before Odegaard show up. Yeah, I mean, you see the way different clubs do it too, right? Like Liverpool can do it with Firmino dropping in. Chelsea can do it with Lukaku dropping in. City can do it with just player movement and everybody coming into the middle spaces. Sometimes the way Chelsea do it is like Mount will come into the middle, right? And pick up the ball there. They have their wide players that come central. So there's a lot of different ways that, that it can be done. I think we need to find those ways now. So I got a fun thing I want to do to sort of uh, round out the back half of this pod and, and get us looking at what will actually happen in this Norwich game. But first, let's, uh, let's ask the important question. That is, do you ever feel like you're being followed around the internet? Let's be honest. There is probably a Facebook employee in your house right now. Your Alexa is definitely listening. Like you are being followed around the internet. Maybe advertisers know a bit too much about you. And our new sponsor, IPVanish VPN, is here to help you take back your privacy and help become anonymous on the internet. So what is IPVanish? IPVanish is a virtual private network, a VPN for short. A VPN is an important tool that helps you safely browse the internet. I will tell you, it is also very, very helpful if you want to watch those geo-locked videos. So if there's videos and they're like, oh, it's not available in your region. You know what? IPVanish can help with that because suddenly you're in their region and then you can watch the videos. You can use a VPN on your computers, tablets, phones, even things like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. When you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted, what you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching, whatever it is you're doing. It's important because what you're doing on the internet is no one's business but yours, especially listening to this podcast. For listeners of this show, IPVanish is offering an incredible 65% off their annual plan equal to six months free. That math will need to be checked, but you get the idea. IPVanish is super easy to use. You turn it on with the click of a button, and it runs seamlessly in the background, helping protect you while you're browsing the web. And if you run into problems, don't worry. 24-7 support available by email, chat, and phone. So go to IPVanish.com forward slash vision. That's IPVanish.com forward slash vision. The annual plan is just $44.99 for the first year with our exclusive discount. It's time to sign up with our discount. Get the current promotion, 65% off. IPVanish is the best of the best, rated 4.7 out of 5 on Trustpilot with more than 6,000 reviews. That's pretty good, huh? Remember, it's IPVanish.com forward slash vision. Before we move on, just real quick, uh, if you use a mobile phone, they still call it that? I don't know, wireless? After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if you've learned anything, is that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service at 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But there isn't a catch, actually. Isn't that nice? It all makes sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile doesn't have uh, you know, stores and, and all kinds of overhead that they have to do. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out retail stores. There's no crazy overhead costs that get passed down to you in the form of mystery fees. Instead, they just pass on sweet savings direct to you. I mean, it is wild, right? Because I, I have two kids... You know, family, insurance, mortgage, car payments, all the stuff that you have to do to be like a grown-up, which is no fun. I don't recommend it. And 
like you could be paying almost $200 a month for mobile service. This is 15 bucks a month for unlimited talk and text, high-speed data, and it's delivered on the largest 5G network uh, here in the United States. So like if you have a teenager or someone, if you need wireless and you don't want to spend $150 doing it, just use any phone you already have with Mint Mobile plan. It's great. I mean, the signal is clear. The wireless is strong. It's great. And if you're not 100% satisfied, they have you covered with a seven-day money-back guarantee so you can test it out. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at 15 bucks a month. So go to mintmobile.com slash vision. That's mintmobile.com slash vision. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. I mean, that's it. 15 bucks. Done. Mintmobile.com slash vision. Okay. Enough of that, Clive. Yes? Yeah, it's good. I was actually thinking about coaching. <laughs> what are you talking about? I was that? thinking about cheap wireless and safe internet, but you know, you do you, man. All right, Paul, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk lineups for Norwich, and then we are going to finish the pod by burning questions we want answered in the coming weeks. Okay? okay. So, real quick, what do you expect he'll do lineup-wise? I mean, it seems like Gabriel and White makes sense. Mm-hmm. Party and Samby. Makes mm-hmm. sense, right? All of these yep. just easy picks, but there's something in the back of my mind that says he's going to be nervous to put these untested partnerships out in a must win when maybe he can fall back on players. He just has that little extra trust for. He did talk about Odegaard and, and Smith Rowe being able to drop into the pockets that Samby operates in. Do you think he might throw a curveball and one of those two partnerships might not happen? No. So you think it'll be White and Gabriel in the middle uh, of the defense, Samby and party in the middle of midfield. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, that'd be good. So then I I think the one other area that's kind of curious to me, the front line, when Mm -hmm. we played without Lacazette, I think we've lacked a focal point, Mm -hmm. but there's also that whole goals thing that Aubameyang does pretty well. And he's the big money man to do that. So are we going to see both of them together? I know people hate that, but he has tended to do it when they've both been available. We're going to play with Aubameyang up front, Odegaard behind him because, uh, the reason we lack a focal point is we also lacked a 10, to be honest, um, to find our existing roving focal point, who's Aubameyang. So we'll have Odegaard behind Aubameyang and we'll have Saka and uh, Pepe on the wings. And uh, the only question I have, of course, none of this will happen. Well, some of it will happen. My only question is right back, Cedric, Chambers, uh, you know, chambers. I think uh, I I agree with with uh, uh, Clive's logic on Cedric, but but I think it'll be chambers. It's not, just it's not a strong logic, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to die on that one. <laughs> you rip me apart if you want. <laughs> no, no, you have Cedric. No, no, you have chambers. No, you have Cedric. <laughs> no, no, you have chambers. So you guys I having think- fun. Is this, yeah. is this, is, am I a joke to you? Is this all a joke? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, I've decided everything's very simple. Uh, the system's very clear. I don't know why there's any confusion. The The first 11 for this weekend's really simple. I don't know why anybody has any confusion. Everything's going to be great. And it's we're going to be going exactly to play as well. you predict, huh? Yep. Yep. It is. <laughs> Good luck with that. It's going to be grand. 3-1. Um, yeah, well, now... 3-1. There's always the possibility that, like, uh, 
Uh, Tommy Asu, I, I, yeah, I, t- I tend to think it's too soon. Yeah, um, like, how could, like, I, th- this one always, as you can tell, flabbergasts me. Flabbergasts me. The guy hasn't practiced with the team. He's not starting this weekend. He's just not. He's, he's, mm. he's never met anybody. Uh, he speaks a bit of English. He's been away with Japan. He's got jet. He's not feckin' starting, even if he gets I, look, a visa. I agree with you. The yeah, okay. only argument against it is the little <laughs> funny back and forth repartee you two thought you were doing just a moment ago, where you were naming the legitimately abysmal alternatives that we have. I think Maitland Niles could start. Like well, he's been yeah, talking yeah. up Maitland That's Niles. You know, one. he's been talking yep. up Maitland. I, I think we're in I such like a situation that. where his trust in in Cedric was gone, then it was back, and then it's gone. His trust in Chambers was gone, and then it was back, and then it's gone. The only person who hasn't had a chance to lose his trust again is Maitland Niles. So I could True. see him getting the chance to lose his trust again. Clive, but, before we get into my basis, burn- Sorry, I was just going to finish that off. On the basis that he needs to maintain the belief in Chambers, maybe not Cedric, but Chambers, that he does actually plan to use him and trust him to some level, he can't, like, pick the tea lady at right back while waiting for Tommy Yasu, right? If Chambers is next up, um, or Cedric, whoever it is he's trying to persuade that he does actually plan him to be the number two. And, like, it could be Maitland-Niles, but the Maitland-Niles thing is a whole other story. Like, personally, from a talent standpoint, I'd love to see Maitland-Niles start at right back. But assuming that we've got him because we just didn't get rid of him, uh, he's kind of got to pick Chambers here. Otherwise, he's going to, you know, it's like, what's his relationship going to be with the guy for the next Well, I mean, he's never been shy about, I mean, and I don't mean this as a criticism. It's going to come across that way because there's really no alternative. He's never been shy about having a relationship go sour, not picking a guy and then having him be frozen out for months like that. That's not something he's been shy about doing if he doesn't trust a player. Clive. I would debate that, but not now. Okay. Okay. Well, well, you know what? Let's debate it offline where no one can hear it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Clive, he's, he's got a lot of interesting selections to make. I mean, he's got players that he's been missing. He doesn't necessarily have players who are in, you know, match fit. Ne- I mean, how ready is Ben White? I think he's ready. How ready is Gabriel? Maybe he's ready. Is Party fully ready? You know, there's a lot of players there that we expect to start that are just back, haven't played, and haven't played together. So are you convinced he will go with the the players we'd like to see, or do you think he might in a game that's at home against a team he probably thinks he can beat, maybe choose players that have played a little more, even though those players have massively let him down? Yeah, I, I don't think it's any, any choice. I think he, he has to. I mean, I'm not saying he's playing for his life, but there's only so much people can take, right? So um, if we don't beat Norwich at home or play well, that's you know, if we have an unlucky draw, you know, but we, we, there's only so much people can take, right? You gotta, you gotta take people with you, you know. And and also, I, I always go back to this, you know. I think a Bamyang will play. Reason why? Contract back pocket. He's our centre forward. Lacazette staying, waiting to go for a free. I'm not. I won't invest in you as much. This is the guy. You can come and carry his boots for the last 15 minutes. That's how I think he's going to go. Same with the fullback situation. I think Tommy Assi will probably play in the in the league in the league cup game to get himself acclimatized. And um, I think that's a smart thing, getting there for like 55 minutes and getting to know people, build relationships. So, yeah, go with the guys. You've got your disciples now. These players that we're talking about, he's brought in, right? So, or they've re-signed with him. Uh, so, he's starting to look like his team. So, play them. 
And the only way they're going to find out if they're any good is by playing. There's no point in waiting. Shaka can't play, or Nenny can't play. If you want to, if you're going to fight me and argue with me to see Holding and Marie, then I'm I'm here all day for that argument. I don't think I don't think you want to. <laughs> so, um, and so, yeah. And in I terms of the midfield partnership, like Sambi and Party played at least in pre-season together, whereas nobody else has played with anybody yeah, else in midfield. I'm, I mean, that's yeah. that's actually the safe bet. God forbid. You know what I'm. I, I, they're, they're going to be fine. If, if Sammy's fit, he's got a little injury, and if he's not fit, I think Maitland-Niles will play in there. But mm. what, what's more important to me is I, I just want to see a double pivot. I don't want to see anyone disappearing into the back line anymore. Double pivot, control the central area. These are the principles I was talking about earlier, earlier. I think it's important we start to see this less confusion, more simplicity. Make sure your player's in the right position to succeed. Play a double pivot. Don't leave that guy on his own. You know, don't you don't have to do anything stupid, and uh, just and just control the game well, with, with the talent that you have. That's my little worry, and this is a little worry in the back of my mind that we can sometimes overcoach via selection. This we have that tendency. That's the one thing he has carried over from Pep. You know, like don't just just put party together with somebody and just smash them. Just do it that yeah. way. Have a two sharp centre backs in your block. One-sided, lopsided fullbacks, roll back into a three, go from there and let your talent play up front. Squeeze your spaces and go from there. It's not. It, this is a simple game, mate. It really is. I don't understand why people overcomplicate it. He, he, he did say in his pre-match press conference, we have the tools now, right? He said it. Now we have the tools we need. Yeah. And he said, we have to glide it together. We need to create relationships, chemistry, understanding. We have to adapt and we have to do that really quickly. The only way to do that is to put them out there together and you're not going to find many easier fixtures on the calendar than Norwich at home. So I think on the one hand, you could say maybe he tries to give them more practice time together and put some players out there who have a few games under their belt this season. On the other hand, you could say there's no time like the present and a game at home to Norwich to get some of these guys familiar with playing together. And I'm very curious to see what he does. So I want to shift gears now to burning questions. This is not sponsored by Manscaped. Um, burning questions. I will start, I'll throw one out there to kind of give you the sense of what I mean. But over the next six league fixtures, and the reason I picked those six is then after that we hit a run of five games that includes Leicester away, United away, Liverpool away. So these six, that also include a home derby, are a chance to get the, that dreaded momentum we always talk about, get this thing back on track, really reestablish ourselves as being on some stable footing. And, and a lot of points are needed. So these are burning questions over the next six games. So I'll start. My first burning question, is Ben White ready to be the anchor of Arsenal's back four defense? We signed this guy for 50 million. He didn't look great against Brentford. He was then missing with COVID. And, you know, obviously we played some really, really difficult games that so would have been tricky. Now we have a run against teams that aren't particularly renowned for their attacking prowess. And he's back, and the partner that he'd want to be paired with is back. And this is a chance to see. I'm not saying this sums up who he will be over the next several seasons, but we didn't pay $50 million for him to just be good in two seasons or three seasons. We paid $50 million for him in part because we needed someone to come in and much like David Luiz, be the talisman from the back. The guy who builds a play, the guy who progresses the ball, the guy who get plays, you know, fades him over the top, big switches, carries it into midfield, runs that central defense. That starts now. A burning question for me over these next six games, is Ben White ready to be that guy? Um, Paul, you want to 
you want to throw a burning question out that you might have, or we can certainly address mine if you think that it is too oh, stupid yes. to, to be left alone. All right, Clive wants to address mine. Clive? Well, you, you, you nailed it in, your, in the way you des- described the question, actually, because I think the, the anchor defense will be Gabrielle, and the uh, distributor yeah. defense will be Ben White. And so if we can get into our minds that Ben White needs an anchor next to him, and Ben White is a sweeper, distributor. He's the Dave Louise that starts our play from the back. And that's what we bought him for. So we've got to create stability around him, hence why I really like the signing of Tommy Assey. And I hope, you know, I'm hoping Ben White and Tommy Assey can give him that stability to allow him to see the game, read the game, and, and get us from defence to attack really, really quickly because he plasted like a midfielder. One touch, regain, retain, mm. round the corner. So that's what I'm hopeful he'll he'll be. <clears throat> He's not a fifty million pound Sol Campbell. He's just not. Gabriel is one we need to be that player. So watching, you know, watching the pair of them is going to be equally critical, in my opinion. So then maybe the better burning question, it's still burning, is can that pairing be an elite center back pairing? Because we spent big on that position because we felt it was a priority and needed to be shored up, and hopefully we've done that. Yeah, so- and I think that's the key question. That was my reaction to it as well. I think anchor is the wrong... I know where you're going. Is he ready? How about talisman from the back? Is that better? Um, maybe. But wh- when we talked about Chaka and Party before they ever played together, and we're like, oh, you know, they'll never... You know, will they be able to... Part-? They, f- they find their own balance, and it was mostly very good, and we liked it, and like that balance they find emerges between the two players. They probably don't even know quite how it's going to work till they play together. But if they can do it, um, that's what we're looking for and more from Gabrielle and White. They find their balance. Obviously, there are responsibilities, as as uh, Clive uh, laid out there nicely. But they'll find a balance that's not... You know, not as simplistic as the way we'd like to define it right now. But yeah, he should be ready. Uh, he needs to be ready. He's blood. Look, he's a lot of things, but one of the things he is is bloody smart and cool and confident on the ball. There's no reason he can't have a quick start. We, just, I don't know how we fix the fact that he's not six foot. Uh, well, he's he's, like, he's not going to win the aerials, but Tomiyasu yeah. will. So maybe maybe that's how we yeah. fix that. Look, since you guys, I'm I'm obviously the gimmicky one, and you mm. guys obviously have the the. The insight. So I'll just spit out the hot the hot takes. I'll, I'll do the burning I've questions. I've got a burning you question. Answer them. Okay, you, you fire away with the burning question. I got another one too. Yeah, go for or it. Or my burning interest is Odegaard. Can he quickly become as good as I think he is? Because I think that's how, like, he's basically Arteta on the pitch in midfield. Uh, the reason he wanted him so bad is because that guy is fucking super smart. You lay out the plan the way you want to play, and of course he has to fit that way of playing, and he does. He's going to be the hub in a way that Smith Rowe is a great player, but um, he's not the hub. He's not the central intelligence that makes it all tick. He does different things. He does other things. He's about movement, uh, verticality, connections. But Odegaard is the thinking neurocenter of how we will play. All this toothpaste stuff don't mean a thing if you don't have a brush. And uh, hang on, I don't know if any of that even works. But Odegaard is the whole point of this. Uh, the fact plan. that we don't have a Colgate sponsorship by now is a disgrace. But go ahead. I, yeah. I've done my part. Yeah. But that's where you like we we have not cracked the final third 
apart from at times last season. But outside of like a West Ham kind of game and a few other games, we don't seem to have got our mitts on the final third and how we play. And partly we lost Tierney for a while and blah, blah, blah. Well, we have the pieces now, but the hub, the thinking, the brain, the guy who pulls the strings and has us playing in the final third, whatever way it is that Arteta wants us to play is Odegaard. And he's smart, he's ready, he's really good. And Mm. I think it all comes down to Odegaard. I'd certainly say that as much as the Ben White question was burning for me, the other, maybe even bigger marquee signing is Odegaard. And certainly, if you want to talk about elite prospects, Odegaard has been one of the elite young prospects of playmakers and attacking midfielders in the world since he was 16. So yeah, finding out over the next six games if he can come in and be an elite player for us, staying fit and and contributing, not just the, the link, but the end product. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, Clive, can I give you a burning question? Or yeah, do you want to it. provide one? I've, I've got a couple of things in my mind, but you go first. You go first. All right. Here's a burning question. It's pretty straightforward. Six games, winnable games. Can Arteta coach an attack? Can Mikel Arteta... Let's find out. Let's see a team that takes shots, creates chances, doesn't just put in crosses from the wings. Let's see a team that looks dangerous, that sustains pressure against weaker teams, puts them on the back foot, and scores goals. It's no goals through three games. We all know that. But this this problem extends to last season. There was a little bit of run where we looked pretty good last season. But basically, the minute any player was out or the system wasn't exactly what he needed, we had problems. And the guys that are there to paid to, to score goals... Lacazette and Aubameyang, well over 30 in Aubameyang's case. We don't know where the goals are necessarily coming from. and We don't necessarily know how we're going to create them. I want to see Clive over the next six league games. Can Mikel Arteta coach an attack that looks ready to be one of the elite four or five best in the league? How do you feel about that burning question? Yeah, I think it will be when we had Odegaard, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Pepe, primarily three, three out of four, and a centre forward, our attack looked pretty good, didn't it? Would you agree? Improved? I would say in stretches. I would say the thing is, even in those games, it wasn't that we, we still didn't create the volume of high no. quality chances you'd like, but we we looked more fluid. And when we did create chances, they, we looked a little more dangerous. But do, do, yeah. you, do you think we had other than like the West Ham game when we were fighting back from three nil? There weren't a lot of games where we just battered anyone or pushed them back or had them, you know, hemmed in and creating chances. I'd, I'd like to see us be able to to have a little more superiority in the final third, you know? Oh, me too. And for those that follow me, the centre forwards that I'm looking at are not like the centre forwards we have, you know? And and our centre forwards last year, well, Lacazette was our best centre forward, let's be honest. And the guy who's our franchise was not available, you know, was not ready to play and not in the right frame of mind to play. And he looks in a better frame of mind. So a lot of our hopes rely on him. But he has certain superpowers, and they can he can be stopped, he can be disconnected. If teams give us wide spaces and drop deep, then we lose him. So coaching the attack, I think we've got a great attack on a day that really suits us. But if you've got smart teams that sit in and block that central zone and sit deep, it's going to be an issue for us. And it has been for two years or so. You know, And, and I can't see any personnel change because Arteta has not bought an attacker. But it's going to make me feel different about that. We can get some diagonals going and running in behind and do things against a low block. But, yeah, I have a worry about that. But nothing will change for me on that until I see a new centre forward, somebody who can, six foot plus, who can post up, who can 
stop people doing low blocks, but can also turn around and create. And I think once we have that player, which is basically a combination of Lacazette and Aubameyang <laughs> in one body, if we can, once we have that player, I think we can definitely say we've got something going on here. There's a missed opportunity for a couple of players in the summer. And we all know that we're restricted because we can't move on two players because they will not leave. And so that's where the future of this team is. You know, so that's that's how I feel about it. It's not giving him a, a get out of jail card in it because one of my burning questions is... Mm, a burning question. <laughs> and this is something that I think he has to do. So to follow on from what I said earlier about all coaches are doing the same thing, they're all doing the same thing, but they're, I want to know what Arteta's priorities and emphasis is. Right, So... We can all say that Pep has a priority about how he does his rotations, how he moves the ball quickly, transition fouls. He has a clear identity and principle by which he plays. There's a priority of energy, technical ability, clock, high-energy football, transitions, quick movement, switches of play. You can see his priorities and his emphasis. So when people say, I want to see Arteta football, if I also say to you, what's his emphasis? So some people say, well, he's quite structured, and he's quite, he made to fix our defence until he didn't. Do you know what I mean? And he's not bad in attack. We, we, when we got number 10, we were quite fluid until we wasn't. Do, do you know what I mean? In centre midfield, we've had a turnover in, in players there. So what do we stand for there? It's really, relay, it's really reliant on individuals like Thomas Party, for example. And so I think the emphasis by which he needs to coach and the details that he wants to bring in, that's the thing I'm looking for. What's the emphasis of an Arsenal team rather than how do Arsenal Arteta football look like? Does I mean what's that emphasis? And I think that'll be developed with these players. And what I will say is that with young players, you get you you can get huge step forwards really quickly. And it can go the other way. And and this is my worry. Um my worry is who's going to stop these a young player derailing if they go the other way and they can't cope with the leadership pressure placed upon them, because I feel a few of them are about to be exposed. So mm. that's my worry. But um, we will worry, don't we? But, Not me. But I understand <laughs> that other people do. I, think, I try yeah. to be sympathetic to that. <laughs> I'm looking at the emphasis developing, and some of that's going to be in the players. And this is why I'm so interested and excited to see this mesh together. Yeah, I think not just me. I think all of us will see where this will go. And at this moment in time, I don't think any of us can say with any certainty where this is going to end up. Um, well, it'll end up, here's what I can say with certainty. It will end up with Arsenal winning some, losing some, drawing some, and the manager either staying or going. Um, so you can write that down, bring it back to me in a few months. Promise you it'll be true. Uh, Paul, I got a burning question for you. You ready? Mm-hmm. Here's a burning question. With his three-match ban now in place, can, our, can Arteta and Arsenal find a midfield pairing over the next couple of games that helps reduce our reliance on Granite Shaka as a first name on the team sheet kind of guy. Can Sambian party play against Norwich and Burnley? Now I believe one of the three match ban because it's a league cup. I think the ban extends to the league cup. So really it's just two league games in the Wimbledon game. But in yeah. those couple of games, Burnley and Norwich, if Sambian party start them, if they play well together, my burning question, will we find a solution that lets Granite Shaka not be a guy who has to be out there every every game and maybe open Arteta's eyes to the way we can be better if we do something different. How do you feel about that burning question? So my burning answer is no, we can't, but people won't like that answer. So I'm going to phrase it in a way that 
makes them well, less no, that burns. hostile. It does burn. I feel a burning yeah, when yeah. you say it in my in my temples. So that's good. Yeah, like a uh, a a, uh, a UTI burning like. UTI. Um, Do you get those in your temp in your temples? <laughs> I've got nipples. Well, Can you milk you, me, Rob? You shaved your eyebrow off when you were supposed to be all right, only shaving all right. your You know what? Oh, that sorry. was just the one time. Go oh, ahead, okay. please. Um, will we reduce our reliance on Chaka and it always having to be Chaka plus party? Yes. If My dog so- has a UTI. Um, that's nice. Um, Sucks. I feel bad for him. Yeah. Um, sorry, you were saying? <laughs> yeah, Jack and party. Um, look, uh, rumors of Chaka's lack of importance and leadership are greatly, greatly exaggerated. The idea that he has a red mist moment, which he has every fucking season, once a season, and suddenly people are going to, within the squad and the team and the manager, are for the first time ever going to say, oh, he's not actually the leader we thought he was, that we invested and negotiated our relationship with. Oh, my God, Chaka lost his shit. Man, he's a totally different leader in my team than he th- than I thought he was, uh, Mr. Young Player. It's like, the intensity he plays with, the 98% close to his red, the red mist, is the whole point. His competitiveness, his over-competitiveness is why he burns. Like if you have a hot air balloon and you're a little worried that the jet with the flame is blowing hot air into the balloon, you console yourself with the idea without the jet, the balloon will crash to the ground. You need a few people who burn hard regardless of the situation. And unfortunately with Chaka, everybody knows it. It's priced into the share once a year he has a meltdown. Or he does something really fucking stupid. I'm fine with that if he was better. I just, I don't, and again, but, I don't but, think but, he's but, trash. But, but, he's but, not but, trash. But, I think but, he has a limiter got, on us. That's the question. Can we raise our ceiling without him? Yeah, but we're not at our ceiling or anything close. Like we always go to this, we always want to slip back to, uh, he was one of our best players last year, but this year I want to lean into he's not good. Like, we haven't seen good Chaka yet because he needs party next to him. Um, or because he can actually do a pretty good job with Sambi, but unfortunately the tactics against Chelsea made us look like shit. Um, like, Chaka and Sambi will be a pretty good partnership. And I think we got to... Ch- like, that isn't where the whole game gets decided. Chaka plus party, Chaka plus Sambi may well be a very good partnership for for this year. And we just got to chill a bit. Like, we're all bent out of shape about who the captain is, but the team isn't, and he's the captain of the team. Like, um, I'm just thinking, like... Well, he, he's technically not, but I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that's the whole point, right? I mean, he's technically not, but he's such a bloody captain he is. I mean, what did we all want? We wanted to pick... Um, Who's everybody's favorite captain before Tierney came along? We all wanted Zoolander for our captain. I I, I would do that. I think that'd be entertaining, but he can't turn left. So he's kind of the opposite of Shaq. Hector Bellerin. Yeah, I know. I I like it. Um, Well, so like, 
I did, like we do it every bloody time, and I know he winds people up, but like you just got to put it to one side. I guess the the thing is, Paul, right? Like we're talking across each other only in the sense that, as you know, I don't care about leadership. I don't think it's a thing, and I don't care about it. And everybody listening, be as mad at me as possible mm-hmm. at Yankee Gunner. Block that guy. He has yeah. terrible opinions. Like obviously, yeah. leadership matters. I'm kidding, but like you know, it's a much lower uh, on my Maslow's. We're in a terrible position to talk about it, but it exists and players make that decision and they have. And I'm with you on that. Why are we getting involved is basically like if they think whoever, if they think Kieran Tierney or Ben White or Chaka is the guy that that kind of brings that fire within the team. That's up to them. It's none of my bloody business, basically. I totally agree. Well, all right. So, so Clive, because I think the point I'm making, though, is I just think we can put a better player on the pitch, potentially. I think we can be a better team if... And I'm not even saying Shaka isn't good. I'm saying we can be a better team if, in some games or even most games, we find a solution in midfield that isn't Granite Shaka. And I felt this way for a while. And actually, I agree with Paul in this respect. I think last season was arguably his best season at Arsenal. And still there were a lot of questions to be asked. So Clive, I mean, do you want to address this burning question? Do you think finding maybe not a a solution to move past Shaka, but an alternative that we feel we can rely on other than Shaka is, is important. Yeah, and that's football, isn't it? If uh, if a Bamiyan's carrying his leg like Tass a super mug, <laughs> it's just if, football, mate. He is. If, if Bamiyan's carrying his leg like a suitcase, then and Balogun's looking sharp, we'll be saying we need a solution up front. And Balogun's looking sharp, and that's it. If if Shaka does his two footed flying tackles, a free game suspension, and Sambi comes in looking like a combination of Diaby and Vieira, see you later, son. Sit down on the bench and get a coat. You won't play until the League Cup game, <laughs> and that's what and that's what football should be like, you know. But that's let's a great see. Point. Well said. Yep. Let's see the development of these players, and that's the thing. Let's let's make sure there's an environment for that kid to develop, Sambi, because he's obviously got something. Belgium number one team in the world, and he's just broken in. Right, he's just played a game, his first game. That's only going one direction if we look after him. Right, so if we have an environment where he plays a bad pass, we don't slaughter him. You know, because this is what we, this is our responsibility now. You know, Shaka will take care of himself. It would either plays well or he doesn't. But what I want to make sure that happens is, I want to see a level of accountability from him. You know, I want to see. You know, look, it's it's a it's a foul. It's not the end of the world. But if we're doing stupid things, discipline wise in the club, I want to make sure that players don't feel they're above accountability. I want to make sure people have accountability for their performances on the pitch, what they do. This is all to be confirmed and seen. I'm very, very cool about things at the moment. We're going to see this team and the stuff that we were talking about and the fears that we had and the anguish that we've been through. It's going to be, we're going to see this team in the next month. Fit, fit, better, partnerships gelling. We're going to see where we are. And even then, when we've seen it, it can go again because that's what happens with younger players as they, as they develop in and get opportunities. So, I'm incredibly interested, shall we say? Um, and Shaka, just he's he's on he's on the journey with us. He is for the next year minimum. And um, yeah, we all know what's going to happen there. He's going to have some good games. Going to have some indifferent games. But he's more likely going to be available quite a lot. Mm. And I think that's a good thing for most most of the time. Would I like to see something else? As a fan, I'm a little bit bored of, but boredom. 
uh, is one thing, you know. Would I have liked to have seen something else? Yes, I would have done. But I also recognise the club has spent £140 million. They've reduced their, their wage bill significantly. So Paul will tell you, you can advertise your transfer fee over four years or so, but a wage bill comes to your bottom line in that particular year. Arsenal have fiscally reshaped their club and are continuing to do so post the expensive get out of get rid of the squat of jobs, which we still got one more to go. And and we are fiscally resetting and becoming far more sustainable. And while we still have a situation where we're sitting bottom of the league, this conversation doesn't look good. I want to have this conversation when we're five, six wins in, poking at the end of the table looking at our wages, looking at our age profile, understanding who we're going to buy up front and in centre midfield next January or summer. And we can have a forward-looking conversation. At the moment, where my head is, where I hope to be, I, I can't have this conversation with people openly and with detail because people will just see, look at eyes as I do at the table. And we are 20th. Yeah. We are 20th. Thanks for the reminder. And that, that can't continue. So no matter, well, no matter how smart we think we are, what we're doing and how we're explaining ourselves, we are 20th and we just need to shut up and win football matches and then start talking. Well, I think if we shut up, like the three of us, that's going to make for a less entertaining podcast. Although some would say if some of us would shut up, it'd be a better podcast. I mean, you know, your mileage may vary. Uh, one thing I'll say about Shaka, I think he's very lucky he got the red card in one respect. I think if he didn't have the red card, then all we would hear about all week, all that would have been front and center is the COVID stuff, the vaccine stuff, and you know not being available because he didn't, blah, 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 blah. Um, the fact is, because he's not available anyway, that kind of winds up not being a story for Arsenal particularly, um, but it's one to keep an eye on as the season rages on. So uh, I got another burning question. You ready to burn? You guys want to burn some more? Mm, Don't all yes. jump up? Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll start with you, actually, Clive, since Paul got to take the first whack the other one, but Paul, I'll come to you on this. Clive, burning question. Six games, four of the teams we play are in the bottom half of the table in terms of expected goals allowed. These aren't exactly defensive masterminds. I want to see what does Aubameyang have left in the tank for Arsenal. These are games where your talisman, your golden boot winner, your highest paid player, your star striker goes out and scores hat tricks, goes out and leads you to victory. In some cases, drags you to victory. That's what strikers do. That's why Chelsea went out and got Lukaku. It's why you know United went out and got Ronaldo. It's why Manchester City went out and got Harry Kane. Oh, no, they didn't. Sorry. Um, so I want to see that burning question answered. Is that a burning question for you, what Aubameyang has left in the tank? Yeah, it's, it's how we're going to play with him. You know, it's it's, in, it's interesting. Him, it, it is. Uh, I'm starting to think more about um, him as like our, our Vardy, basically. And do we need to give him Ian Acho? You know, do we need to play with two strikers? You know, and I'm I'm thinking about this more because I don't think you can waste any more time. You know, trying to find out. You know, when he plays in his own the four two three one on paper, it looks great. Then I look at our shots and I look at what we, how we look in their central areas and we're just not there. We're just not visible. And something needs to change at some point. I, I know what I would do, but but yeah, I just want to... I, I tell you what, Elliot, I saw him the other day and he looks so engaged, so wanting to do well. I've got a bit of hope he's coming back. Right? But again, as I said earlier... We're, we've got nothing to hold. I've got no guarantee, right? Because, but I do see a different body language in him. And I, I just hope that that continues over the 90 minutes in a game. 
he gets his goals. We all know he's a confidence guy. He's a, he's a smiling guy. And when he's smiling and free, we all know what we're going to get. And I do think, like many people listening, much of our season depends on his execution in front of that goal. He really does. So he's hoping he's not done. Yeah. I don't think he's done. We have to see it. His goals per game have declined every season since he arrived. His XG per 90 has declined every season since he arrived. His shots per 90 have declined every season since he's arrived. And there's a lot of mitigating factors. You give a guy a star contract who's a, a striker, a, a fox in the box, running behind striker for one reason and one reason only, to score goals. The success and failure of that move is driven by the goals that guy scores. And we felt that this was an elite goal scorer who would stay an elite goal scorer. And the only way it works is if he does. And the fact is we've let our striker situation get to the point where it's him and Lacazette and a teenager. That's what our striker situation is. Maybe Tammy Abraham was a miss. Maybe there was someone else we could have gotten, but we didn't. We opted to stick with what we have. And they've got to deliver. And he's the guy who's paid to do it. So, Paul, let you have a swing at this. How important is it over these next six games, games that... You know, this isn't City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United. These are teams you can score against that the star striker shows that he still has, you know, the the juice. Uh, it's very important. Um, like, to uh, uh, the poor fella, like, he, we've been judging him. And we all know at the same time, and we say it the other half the time we're talking, the guy's got no service. So we got to give the man some service. Hence, back to my Odegaard topic. All roads run through Odegaard when it comes to what are we doing in the attacking end. And so let's get the man some service. My one concern around that, my burning question around Aubameyang is if the right hand, if, if Aubameyang's at center forward and the right hand is Pepe, uh, Odegaard needs people he can connect to. And if he doesn't have a fullback like Tamiyasu is not your charging into the final third kind of... So there's a lot of questions about who are the spokes in that hub around Odegaard for him to be firing to get the ball to Aubameyang. You can see a rationale for why you'd stick Lacazette in there if you needed to have Pepe on the right. Saka on the right is much better at connecting, holding on to the ball uh, because... For all the fast movement, one of the things about the City or the the Arsenal Arteta style is when you get the ball, you get into position for positional play and you need players who don't keep coughing up the ball. And that's the problem with Aubameyang and Pepe in that corner there, especially if they don't have an overlapping fullback or a fullback who's really comfortable on the ball. So uh, although... There's no excuses and he's got all the players he needs and it needs to be now. There are still things to be worked out in terms of having the right players available, played in, and working out the bugs in that right-hand corner of Aubameyang's your centre forward. There's a rationale for why Lacazette right now, but of course I want to see Aubameyang and I want to see this working. But I would not be upset if our right-hand side was Saka and our left-hand side was whoever, Pepe. Um, for this game and for the next couple of games because Odegaard needs somebody to give the ball back to him and to connect and to make the runs and to be intelligent in their runs. And Aubameyang, like, he's he's not a zero in terms of holding up the play or connecting or making the smart run for possession, but he's a different, you know, he's, he's about m- making the run to get on the end of it and that's what we want, so... Uh, that's my burning question for Aubameyang. When do we get him the service he wants and how do we do it? And who's up in that right-hand corner? Because that's what makes, that's where Odegaard will be. 
Who's he, yeah. who's he pinging the ball back and forward to? Aubameyang, Saka, Odegaard, and an overlapping fullback. How will that all work? I can't decide all the time whether we're, we've let Aubameyang off easy for a number of seasons because the system doesn't seem to work, and so we've given him a pass, or whether that's just actually the case, that he's still the same Aubameyang, the system doesn't work. So it'll be interesting to see how that chicken and egg thing bears itself out. I got another burning question. Paul, you want it? Yeah. Are we headed towards a lost season for Gabriel Martinelli? A lot of people, myself included, think that he is a superstar in the making, but he did start this season and not well. Um, that's not his fault necessarily. Again, same caveats apply for him that apply to Aubameyang. Weird players having to start, system didn't look good, all those things. But if he is a star, if he is the generational talent that has sometimes been discussed, those players find a way onto the pitch and they find a way to thrive, as Clive was talking about. He's got to bang on the door so loudly he can't be kept out. And keeping him out right now, I mean, it's it's good players. It's Pepe, it's Saka, it's Smith-Rowe, it's Lacazette and Aubameyang in some ways. But you wouldn't say if he was generational that he couldn't get past any of those guys at some level. Now, obviously, he does different things than some of those guys. He's not the same player as Smith-Rowe or Saka, for example. But are we heading towards a lost season for Martinelli or can he find a role? It doesn't have to be a starter every game, but a role where he's playing a lot and he's making an important contribution. Paul, how important is it to you over the next six games that we see a Martinelli that's ready to sort of ascend a bit to what we think he can be? Not very important. Um, Noted. <laughs> um, look, there's only one spot for him uh, at the moment. He's going to have to, he's young, he's going to have to be paid. They can't all play. Saka, like you say, there's some good players. Saka is a starter. I mean, does anybody not think that Saka's a starter? Well, let me let me roll back for a second and I'll let you finish. Like, the point stands though that if you're generational, if you're Cesc Fabregas, you, you're in the team. You yeah. find a way, you get in the team okay. and you don't give your shirt up, you know? Yep. Look, I here's my burning question. I had it before we had this podcast. Do we have a we, lot of burning? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the UTI. Yeah. Um, do we overrate Gabrielle Martinelli, especially at this point? I probably. Mean, yeah, probably. Yeah, we do. It's all notional. <laughs> yep. Um, and so, like, he could be great, but I think we overrate him at this point. Like, there's a type of game that really suits him. Yeah, he's not Saka. Saka is great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Martinelli yeah. might be great. And Martinelli's great at some things, not so much other things. Saka's great at almost everything but end product. And Martinelli's probably an end product monster and a shot monster, which, look, Wenger used to say to young players, don't worry about, paraphrasing, don't worry about being good at everything. Find something you're really feckin' good at. Now, Martin Ellie's really feckin' good at that whole business of getting on the end of things, getting shots off, etc. Um, but there's only so many of them you can have on the pitch at the same time. And so I do think he may be a bit of a generational talent in the medium to long term. Next six games, like he needs to be able to hold on to the ball. He needs to be able to follow the plan. He's doing a lot of learning. Um, and the way we play, it's either Aubameyang or Martinelli in a lot of games. And right now it's Aubameyang and you can't drop Saka. And so that leaves one spot on the other side. And there's games where it may not suit Martinelli and games where he's going to do a lot of coming in as a sub for 20, 25 minutes and that should suit him. Tired legs, he can light it up. 
get some shots off, score some goals, and grab a place in the team. But he's not there yet. I I agree with you. I think this is a run where some of that might get clarified. I mean, Clive, I I, I phrased my question in a way that you know in, intended to provoke discussion. That's what we're doing. But my yeah. my thoughts on it are. Like Saka is a star. I mean, all the numbers, all the metrics, all the age, you know, sort of age-adjusted stuff points to Saka being a star and a guy who has to play. I would actually say a burning question for him that we don't need to answer is, can he add the end product in this run where he goes from a young, up-and-coming player to a star in the league that can't be ignored? I, you know, I think some people would say he's there already. But for Martinelli, it's, it's time. It's time to knock on the door too loudly to be forgotten. And he certainly didn't do that with his early season appearances. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I, I've always thought he. Uh, I, I, I picked him my breakout player because I think he's got the most to do, most upside there. I think he's he's had a tough time of injury. He did the Olympics in the summer, came straight off the plane and played the first game. I have this theory, right, Lance, and I, I might as well share it with you. <laughs> I think um, I, I do think that systemically where we are in our four-two-three-one doesn't help some of our players where they are in their careers. I'll give an example. If you look at our two strikers, and so in the end, all what we do needs to have an outcome, and the outcome is the ball in the onion bag. We haven't done that once yet. So we, we've got our two strikers. So Bamiyang and Lacazette, their best period for me is when they play together. So why don't we do it? We've got Balogun and Martinelli. Who, Martinelli really is a, a left sider in a four-two-three-one coming in on the back post. Odegaard finds him, goal. Balogun, he's not ready to be a lone centre-forward in the Premier League yet. But he could be one of the two. Martinelli could be one of the two. Rather than having number 10s in behind, we have number 10s off to side in a 4 triple 2 We can choose any from Smith-Rowe, Saka, Odegaard, Pepe off to sides. Pepe could be one of the two forwards. You create a 4 triple 2 attacking mids in behind two forwards. And what you do is you create an environment for players to develop. So we will see Martelli in the front two. We can judge Balogun in the front two. We can see Lacazette where our wages are and Aubameyang in the front two. I won't say it's the only way to go, but it's the sort of thing that a coach needs to find out. You've got to pick a way of playing that allows your players to develop on the pitch in a scenario where they can actually do something positive. To watch Balogun, I know it's unfortunate and Martelli struggled at Brentford. That's, that's not good, right? We didn't pick the right system for them. We didn't help them. We didn't put a cradle around them. We didn't have wing-backs around them and they could play on the interior and really cause damage. We just stuck them out in our normal system and watched them die in isolation. That's not clever. And this is the challenge for the coach. And this is the bit he's really got to get right. Almost beyond how he wants to play. He's got a group of players he needs to really develop. I'll requote it again. Jonathan Lou said something. He said, Arsenal don't lack leaders, they lack teachers. And our number one teacher is the guy on the sideline. And he's got to teach these guys, but also deploy them appropriately. And that is it, mate, for the next two months. That's when my eyes are firmly peeled on. And I hope Marseille doesn't suffer. But I've got a funny feeling he may well do. That's my feeling, but we'll see. That would be brilliant. I mean, obviously that would be brilliant. So I think we can start to wrap it up. I have one more burning question, unless, Paul, you have one you want to throw out? Nope. All right. So this one, like, look, the whole point of these burning questions is that they're they're meant to provoke a discussion. So my burning question is, 
How much patience will the fans at the in, at, at the ground, both home and away, have for Arteta? Because over this next six games, hopefully we'll be picking up a lot of points and everything will turn around. But if something doesn't go our way, what will the reaction be at the Emirates? What will it be from the home fans? How long will it be patient and optimistic and upbeat and staying behind him? Which I think, by and large, sort of mostly has happened. Granted, we haven't had fans in the ground that long. But, you know, I'm going to the Palace game in October on a Monday night, sort of towards the tail end of this run. If it's gone pretty well, hopefully that'll be, that'll be a great moment. If it's been a bit rocky, what could that be like? I, I have the burning question of, I sometimes think, look, the players downing tools is when you lose the job, everyone says. But I also think if the stadium turns against you, it gets hard to, to win that back. He never had to go through that last season because, as everyone knows, there were no fans. Paul, how do you feel about the burning question of how much patience will the fans inside the stadium have and how much impact that has on Arteta's sort of the tenability of Arteta's tenure? If that, yeah. That's an interesting turn of phrase, but you get my point. Sure. Uh, well, like... I have no idea because, like, the, the fans in the stadium <clears throat> are a different animal. But that won't stop me trying to give an answer. Most of them are people, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're weird, like, uh, stadium fans. <laughs> we do pod with, with one of them. Very weird. Yeah, and then away fans are different to home fans. So I'll quickly handle the, hand this over to Clive, who actually knows something about these things because he's, he's lived the life. Uh, Twitter is like merciless at the moment. And I just like to think that there's a better human being um, flawed, flawed with his own limitations or hers at the stadium and at away games. And that they'll, they're likely to give quite a bit more leeway because it's the team uh, in front of them. These are new guys. I, I think like uh, Ramsdale getting in there, I think will help. Uh, white these younger guys coming in playing will help because the crowd will want to see them he'll want it they'll want to give them a chance they won't want to slaughter them in the first their first game or second game or third game they struggle i mean they're they're connected to it they're part of it so i would like to think that they won't be complete and utter bastards like us hidden behind our electronic screens where we're living in a world where it's fine to say anything about anybody because if you don't at them, it's fine. And like, I, I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying you have a whole other climate then online, but then of course, over time, the two connect and the toxicity can link up, but I'm hoping uh, Arteta and this team can get six, seven or eight games so they can start playing well before the toxicity closes the loop and the internet becomes the live crowd, but that's as much as I, I have to say on it. I, I think my guess would be <clears throat> that they'll have time that if they start to play well over the next six, seven, eight games, the the crowd will and the away crowd will give them time. It, it, well, before I turn it over to Clive, do you, do you agree with me that it is rel- – I mean, I know you think a coach keeping the job is more about – well, a lot of factors, but but really how the players respond – but do you agree that there there is a level of toxicity in the ground, a level of turning on the coach that it that makes it untenable at some point, or not really? I'm not going to that one. I just I have no idea on that one. I'd like to. My guess is no, but then I don't know. Um, okay. It just seems like it, 
he won't have a lot of leeway, but he's going to have, I would have guessed he has leeway for a few games. But yeah, there's some pent up frustrations there, but that's about as much as I can guess from here. Clive, what's your take on that? How important is it to you to find out what the patience is from the fans who, who go to the games and, and how much that will sort of dictate what happens next? Yeah, well, first things first, right? The club needs to recover its dignity because that's what we've lost over these last couple of weeks. And we do that by winning games. This is a very undignified position for a club of Arsenal's size and resources to be in despite the mitigating factors. We cannot be here for long. Let's recover our dignity first. And and so the next five games before the international break are another international break, would you believe, <laughs> are, 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 are really, really key. And I think fans, you know, I never underestimate fans' intelligence, even though people are angry. Um, they're also realistic at the same time. And, and these five games will decide how we feel. And Spurs on the 26th September, I mean, my word, yeah. right, that could be, that could be a moment. That, that really could be a moment. It could be a, it could be a launch pad moment. Or it could be a self-reflection moment. But this is it, mate. This is the time. Everyone's available. Hopefully we don't suffer any more injury. Partnerships bedding in. I think fans know what they're looking at. And I don't think they're going to accept readily some of the things we saw pre-Christmas last year in the same way. Because we're further along in the program. People come out of the dressing room. People who were really holding things back, in my opinion and taken away from the focus and come out of the dressing room. We re-established ourselves towards the second half of the season. I felt we were dumb under pressure against Villarreal, and that's a very costly mistake, and that's a mark on the manager, in my opinion. The club have backed a new phase, a new way forward. It's been made clear. It's been explained, defended in different forums. We can't miss it. So here we are. Start delivering. There's nothing else to say. There really isn't. No, it's time to prove it. It's uh, show me season. Show me that we can get better, that we can win games, we can pick up points. I think all the, even the people, even the most ardent anti-Arteta people, and I I don't say that with any uh, ill will intended because I understand all the reasons for feeling that way. I find myself more on the spectrum of being a skeptic uh, and maybe even a huge skeptic. And I, I have sympathy for that perspective. But Wherever you fall on the spectrum of extremely skeptical, ready for him to go, love him, think he's a genius, everyone knows what the caveats were for the start of the season. Whether you accept them or not is each individual person's decision or to how, how much you think they excuse. But those caveats were there. They are gone now. And unfortunately, on zero points with no goals and nine conceded, there is no room for a slow restart. So whether you love the joke or hate the joke that the season starts now... It, it starts now, but it starts now with no points and a negative nine goal difference. And so that's a very different thing than a brand new season. And we'll we'll have to see how the new players get integrated, whether they move the needle. A lot of burning questions for the next few weeks. Send us yours. Send us your burning questions. Get with us in the Discord if you're a patron. Um, get with us on Twitter. Send us your burning questions. Maybe we'll incorporate them in upcoming episodes. And if you like this idea, I think it's a fun way to come out of these international breaks, reset, hit some burning questions, things we want to find out over the next few weeks. So let us know if you liked it. And if you didn't like it, um, uh, let Tim know it's still better. Okay, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. 
Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone in London, assuming that once again that doesn't get canceled. And, uh, you know, getting together with all of you and then again trying to do that in other places around the world so we can be friends IRL. Wouldn't that be nice? In any event, season starts now, everybody. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Norwich 0. No.